0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk sport Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Back of the Nest, The Palace Years. We'll be covering the 16-17 season... That's the season where Pardew got sacked and Allardyce did the unthinkable, kept us up, and we ended up 14th. We'll be back with a full discussion of that season after this. Back of the Nest, the Palishers. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
0: So joining me for this one is uh, Mr. Hambling. How you doing?
2: Hello, Hello. I'm marvellous. Thank you very much. Good, good. Patrick, how you doing? Fantastic. Thank you for asking.
0: Excellent. And Christopher, a bit hungover.
3: Yeah, but apart from that, looking forward to the show.
0: Good. Uh he said he was green this morning, so uh we shall excuse him if he's a bit slow on the replies. Um a couple of things from last episode. Um because we covered the uh the final and we were all pretty rolled up and kind of the volume rose in our voice, and we all went off for a drink afterwards. We uh forgot to cover people's comments in Twitter. So apologies, we do read absolutely everyone. Uh, we talk about it before the show and everything like that. So apologies for those people who took the effort to message in. Please keep doing it. We've got some lovely ones for this episode. So um, as usual with these things now, you've probably, if you've been listening to the rest, you've probably got your head around it. We talk about the uh, the ins and outs for the season, first of all. Um, and the uh, transfer window 2016 was a particularly productive one um, and if we compare it to some others perhaps more recent ones um, it seems like a distant memory so gentlemen let's uh, let's discuss first of all Steve Mandanda from Marseille um, that was uh, that was something that didn't quite work out but at the time seemed absolutely amazing
1: yeah it came with an absolutely huge reputation I've been uh, I think player of the, the season in France two years in a row um was obviously pushing Hugo Lloris uh, for the top spot in the French national team. We'd been looking for a, for a new number one. Obviously, in the last episode, we talked about the fact we looked in the direction of Alex McCarthy and he was quite harshly treated. This time, we tried to replace Wayne Hennessy with what looked like a surefire 100% hit of a footballer. Um, but I just want to honestly what happened. I mean... The motivation seemed to be to get Stephen Dunder in because he was able to play with the ball at his feet and, and Pardew had it in his head that he was going to impart this new style of football onto the team. And that was what was talked about in the summer. Um, and he obviously started the season in goal but quite rapidly fell out of favour and then f- sort of left the country and <laughs> essentially didn't come back. Um, it, was, it was a bizarre way... Uh, I mean, I don't I don't really understand what happened. Um, it just came, seemed to come across like he didn't really want the move in the first place. Didn't settle, didn't like the culture. His family stayed in France. Um, it was talked about that he had um, some family issues and had to go back, but it was pretty clear he had no intention of, of playing for Crystal Palace after a period
0: of time. Hugely disappointing. And yeah, it was a shame. I mean, he got the lovely Steve Coles and people were willing to embrace him. But I think... It, it did seem like a, a slightly extravagant purchase, not in the amount of money because it was only a million and a half, but it wasn't something that anyone was necessarily too bothered about at the time, um, other than the odds early Hennessy hater.
2: I loved the move at the time. Um, and Hamburg brought an important point about him not settling. But when you look at the, the, the Palace squad back there. We had Flamini, Kabai, Loic Remy, Sacco, there's a lot of French-speaking players: Soiree. Wilf, Wilf speaks French, Wilf, yeah. Zaki, Bakary, Sako. So it's interesting he didn't he didn't settle because there's you know so many French speaking players, and if you remember Podu's uh, his uh, reputation, he he, a uh, Newcastle loved a, great, a French player, French players, a lot of French players would play for him. So it's a real shame because I thought again at the time it was a really good signing. I like the the progression to having a keeper because that's what the, the Premier League really is now. Football in general is keepers that can play with their feet, and it's it's a shame. But like you said, Hambo, like. No one really knows what happened. He just, he just kind of disappeared. He got he got taken out of the lineup, and then he went back to France, and he was gone and was never seen again. It was it was it was very the most bizarre situation of a player I've ever seen in Palace. And we've had a lot of bizarre situations. I, th-
1: I think something just occurred to me, which I think perhaps should have occurred to me earlier in, in how he why he didn't settle. Um, if you think about the fact that if you're a ball playing goalkeeper and you're told you're signed by a manager who's told you. Right, we're going to play the ball out from the back. I want you to keep the passes short, play out to your defence, and we're going to work the ball up through the through the defence into the midfield, into the attack, and play proper expansive football. If the players in front of you can't really do that, um, it, must, it must be quite
0: disillusioning. I was about to say, if, if you're passing to Joel Ward, then it's you know that's not necessarily the <laughs> easiest thing to be doing. So, and, and and bearing in mind the end of the last season um for for Pardew to still be pushing the expansive football thing, I think at that point we just wanted some some more direct direct football
3: I think it's important to say i mean as as you say, in terms of the people in front, one of them was Damien delaney, you know, and it was the famous you know forward long long ball left and I know that we were saying don't do that, you know that you needed that transition but as you say, you can't make that transition if you don't sign the players to do it. And we hadn't done that. So, you know, no great surprise. It didn't work out in retrospect, although it looked great at the time.
0: Well, that's probably the longest that anyone's talked about Steve Mandanda since he's gone. Um, the same day, though, um, we got Andros Townsend um, from Newcastle for 13 million. So um, England international, um, a huge signing. I think everyone was, was fairly excited. I think if you remember, he'd obviously played for Newcastle. I think he only played
1: half a season and then they obviously got relegated. But against us, scored an absolute screamer. Um, and, you know, he, he was fantastic in an England shirt for quite a long period of time as well. And I was quite surprised how things ended up going for him at Spurs and how, it, how he kind of dropped out of the team and sort of lost a bit of form um and i thought he was really starting to reemerge at newcastle and obviously we took the decision as i'm sure we'll get to to, to sell Yannick balassi and the, the essentially what happened was we you know balassi went for a huge sum of money and for half that money or less than half that money we brought in Andros townsend as effectively as a replacement and i think at the time and and i still probably think it's true considering how things went um it was a tremendous bit of business and It did take him a while to settle. Um, And as we'll talk about with the managerial change, I think that's probably what helped him. Um, But yeah, great player, really has embraced everything uh, to do with being a Crystal Palace footballer and and is a a key man at the club now.
0: What's what's frustrating about that is there was a a decent period of time, um, you know, a month or a couple of months, when we had um, Zahar, we had Townsend and we had Balassi. And it seemed like the, the the Palace DNA, and that's a horrible term, but, um, you know, was, was these um, really flamboyant um, players, forward players on the left and right. And, and to have the three of them together, it was actually very disappointing. I mean, I know Patrick loves Belassie probably equally or more than me, but um, the thought of them three together, obviously it never really materialised, but that would have been amazing.
2: Yeah, Mike, i uh, how come back to that same exact time. I remember we had the three of them and I thought this is going to be absolutely brilliant. If one of them was out of form, we can use the other one. They're going to be, we're never going to be out of form, but it brought my heart to, to sell Yannick. But looking back on it, it was an absolutely great piece of business. Uh, I feel really bad that he went to Everton and got that injury. But Townsend has come here and he's really, really done a great job. And every he has got better and better. His work rate is phenomenal. Um, and I just think it's been, you know, again, I love Yannick and I hated to see him go, but I have to I have to admit that Townsend has come in and done a really great job for us.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And at the time of recording, he's still absolutely got it. And his hair is far better than it was <laughs> at that point. Um, and then perhaps one of, i assume, DR's absolutely favourite signing um, of that window, James Tompkins came in for the Absolutely miserly sum of 10 million. Um, how much has that man done in the last three and a bit years?
1: Jump straight in on this because I've got to be honest about this. So, when we signed him, I don't know why I don't know why I felt like this at the time, but I thought 10 million sounded like a large amount of money for Tompkins, and I I think perhaps it came from the reaction of the West Ham fans um, to to the news. Uh, it didn't take long for a lot of them to sort of say what a stupid thing we've done here. But the initial reaction I think that I saw um, on social media was for them saying, how on earth have we managed to get 10 million for Tompkins? And I think that kind of inked its way into my mind, but it really didn't stay there very long because what a signing he has been. And, I sort of I'm, so West Ham I sort I, I remembered him more again because you you don't see these players every week you, you you see them on match of the day and you see them in the occasional live game but you know we obviously have to be very focused on Palace as as we would choose to be anyway um and I'd seen him play at right back and I'd seen him play in central midfield in his in his younger days as well and I just kind of didn't really expect that we were going to get what we got um yeah he's had his injury problems but you think about how good a signing Scott Dam was and how, how would much of a difference he made. Tompkins has been an, another level to that. He's just been absolutely outstanding. And obviously, later on, paired with Mamasako, the two of them uh, are up there amongst the best centre-back partnerships in
0: the league. I mean, that that just underlines what a sort of contrary, up-themselves bunch of fans West Ham are because he, he, he played for them over 200 times. Um you know i i am i i got the impression that he wasn't that keen to leave him either um so and and at the time we were you know we it seemed to me the most important signing because of the fact that our defense was aging was you know fairly porous the season before um you know i i didn't expect him to be you know it wasn't like when Sacco came along and and he was the second coming but um we, we needed to strengthen badly and, and 10 was million million didn't seem that much. Um, but you're right, West Ham fans were, were saying, oh, we've done you, um, as they've said to many people in the past. Um, and it, it just underlines the fact that you shouldn't listen to anything that West Ham fans ever say. Um, so other than that, <clears throat> we had one Christian Benteke turn up for a hell of a lot of money just towards the end of the transfer window. Uh, and the even better Benteke as well. Join on deadline day, <laughs> Jonathan Benteke. Um and as far as I remember, we had to take Jonathan Benteke because Christian Benteke had it as a deal uh, in his in his signing from Liverpool that his brother had to come as well. And uh I don't know which one of the, the, the Benteke brothers you want to talk about <laughs> first, but
1: Well Jonathan, obviously. Um I do I do actually want to talk about Jonathan Benteke first, just for a well, just for a bit of a giggle, really, but um, I don't. I don't think it was ever officially said that that was the case. And I can vividly remember Pardew saying, "No, no, we've signed him because we believe that there's real talent yeah, he, there." He did. He did well, deny you know, it. Though. Yeah, we've you know that we've we've you know there's there's definitely a player in there. We're going to develop him, and we you know we think there's big things ahead for for Jonathan Benteke. Um, Oldham, I think, with the big things ahead for Jonathan Benteke. Um, I'm conscious that the other guys will want to jump in, but on Christian Benteke, can I just say that you know time might have changed people's opinions and caused people to sort of revise what they what they first thought. But first and foremost, to to me, it was the it was the next level of signing for for the club. We'd done um, goodbye the year before, which was still, you're still talking about Jonathan here, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Christian came along as well, which is all right. No, in all, in all seriousness, um, <laughs> we we were linked with him, and I just thought, no, come on, you know, it was a Villa player. He was superb. Um, I don't think he got the opportunities he should have got at Liverpool. They didn't seem to play in, in a way that suited him, which um, we all know what his strengths are. But again, I, see, seeing the highlights rather than seeing it every, in him play every single game you know the overhead kick that he scored for Liverpool early on really sticks in my memory and i just thought what on earth are we how on earth are we in the market for a player of that talent and i think it to me it was a great signing and it, and i think that year it was proven to be a great signing obviously what has happened since has coloured that somewhat but this season in particular 15 league goals 17 overall he was everything that we thought we were signing when we played to his strengths, when we got the ball in the box, and obviously we had Townsend and Zaha playing wide, creating all sorts of opportunities for them, and he just didn't miss. Um, he, he was absolutely superb for us. Led the line properly, played as a proper striker, and we just—I just thought we've solved it. We've solved the problem. We've got—we've got him for. You know, I think it was a four-year contract. We've got him on. And we've paid a big sum of money and it's worth every penny. We've bought a proper proper proven Premier League striker.
3: You've covered about 90% of what I was gonna say there, Chris, so I won't repeat it. But the the core point about that was it was, as you said, a next level signing. Um for for Palace to be signing someone from a Champions League type club was really strange and great. And I mean the other thing that I think is quite important is the previous season had ended on such a low. I mean, such a high as well, obviously, with with the fact that we got to the FA Cup final. But the drift and the awfulness of that league campaign um, shouldn't be underestimated. And, you know, I mean, there was a lot of depression and fear and worry at the start of that season. That signing changed a lot. You know, it, the feeling around the club was so much more optimistic when he came. I know, I mean, I, frankly... I wasn't a huge fan of his before he came to us, um, not least because I seem to remember him going down rather easily for a penalty against us, um, and I never like players who do that against us. Um, and yet, you know, as a signing, you know it, it, was, it was really exciting, and it did work. For that season alone, that was worth it. Any Any time that you spend that much money and it keep, and it ultimately results in the goals that keep you up, that's worth doing. On its own terms.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, and and it's still still the the, the biggest uh, transfer fee that we've put out, not by much, but it is. Um, the the one other sign-in actually came as um, he was a free agent, and it just after the end of the transfer window, uh, Flamini came in, um, and I think I assume that the rest of you, like me, uh, knew he was probably over the hill, but had this sort of. <laughs> beautiful memories of, of his sort of silky football and assumed he could do the same for us as he did for Arsenal, obviously never really transpired, but he was, um, he was a squad player and, and there when we had some injuries, um, sorry, I'm going to say something. Yeah,
1: now. I was going to say, I was more excited about these, um, his, I can't remember what it was, was yeah. it a biochemical company that he'd started? Um, yeah, I was more fascinated about that when he signed. To be honest with you, <laughs> but um, I, I haven't googled that recently, so I can't remember exactly what it was about.
0: Fair enough. Well, while I am chatting, feel free to look up Flamini Enterprises. Um, so I am glad you are on, Patrick, because the pre-season games were um, the American tour. So I presume you kept uh, kept an eye on that. Um, I know we won at Cincinnati.
2: Yeah, I um, went because of my proximity. I am in New York. I went to the Philadelphia match. Uh, which was the I believe the first game of the tour, so I did get to see a play. Um, that was a game you, we mentioned before, the previous about Freddie Ladapa. We got to see him play a little bit. So Podu, basically, because at that point we hadn't signed Ben Benteke, we were kind of looking for a striker. So uh, Ladapa played a bit. Uh, it wasn't a very exciting game, if I memory serves me. I'm pretty sure it was a nil-nil draw, board draw. But we ended up also going to play against Cincinnati. They were, at that time, where a USL League One team. Now they're in the MLS. They progressed through the ranks, not through promotional relegation, but just through spending a lot of money to get a franchise fee. And we also went out to Vancouver to play the Whitecaps. And at that point, a certain Jordan Much, <laughs> Jordan Much, uh Come on, mate. <laughs> I couldn't help, I couldn't help it because I'm pretty sure he scored in that game, that exhibition game, so... But I had to bring out there because I know how much Chris likes him. So that's my little yeah, yeah Marcher yeah. thing. But it was a pretty successful tour. Again, it was a, the whole point being obviously with us having American investors it was a nice way to kind of spread the, spread the brand. And as an American fan, and a lot of American fans over here, we were very happy to have them be on the East Coast for the most part to get to see them play those matches. So that was nice.
1: Can I just? Uh, I know Chris is going to jump in now, but uh, it was GF Biochemicals that Flamini started with his um, with his friend Pascal Granata. and they're the first company in the world that mass produce uh, levul- levulinic uh, acid, levul- acid, uh, which is obviously, an, uh, as you all know, um, is a uh, an additive in um, degradable herbicides.
0: Oh, great! So he he had enough money from football but he'd still decided that he'd start a company that would sort of increase global warming and that kind of thing
1: well, um, i i think it was uh it's, it's supposed to help um oh okay oh, fair, fair play oh, sorry. Part, sorry so, so yeah sorry. apologize sorry. yeah he's yeah, potentially, yeah. potentially a billion pound company uh
0: producing biodegradable herbicides so i think you owe him an apology don't, don't sue us we're sorry we're sorry i'm sorry
2: He's he's very rich from that company. I believe Mesut Ozil is a big investor in that company, also. So he made a lot of his friends very very rich. So I'm jealous.
0: A lot of things have made Ozil rich. Um, Winning the World Cup. Yeah, let's let's carry on.
2: Um, I mean the
3: the other thing um, that I wanted to bring in was just um, the number of players that exited um, that summer. We're coming to that. Super. Well, Uh, we're we're coming to that.
2: We're
0: coming to that. So so yeah, I had a. I had a nice the, the Valencia game. We won 3-1. Three, three and, um, I, yeah, I remember thinking, this was really lucky. Um, we didn't deserve to win this 3-1. One. And one of the goal scorers was Yedinac. Um So, at that point, he was still a player. By the end of the transfer window, he'd gone, um, which was huge. So, he went to Villa for 4 million. Um, after that game as well. Uh, we lost Yannick Busi, as mentioned earlier, earlier, to Everton for 25 million, which was a huge amount of money. But I was absolutely devastated, and I, I, I assume uh, not not everyone had the same feeling. But for a couple of seasons, I felt that he'd done as much as Zaha had, um, and I was I was absolutely gutted. And obviously, after the injury, at Everton he's not managed to recover quite the same form. But we're talking about a player. That had done wonders for us. He was absolutely the top of his game. So twenty five million. If you compare that to the twenty seven million for um, Benteke, obviously at the time people were saying, you know, we've got Benteke basically for free, swapping him for Balassi. Well, I mean, that's that. That to me still is it's a great shame that he went. Um, we did lose quite a few players. We lost uh, Adebayor, sadly released. Uh, Shemak was released. Um, gutted ended up yeah ended up at Cardiff um and anyone's got a bad word to say about him is wrong uh Hangeland had retired at that point um Mariapa went to Watford um which was which was a shame um, sorry
1: Mike you skipped Chris Kettins there mate um remember, I was, no,
0: right. was gonna to get to him last don't worry oh, okay uh, Paddy Paddy McCarthy Uh, Gone as as a free agent. Uh, Dwight Gale to Newcastle, which, um, you know, as as I mentioned in the Valencia game, when it seemed like we were short on strikers, you know, as Patrick had said, um, we had Freddie Ladapo in the friendlies. Well, you know, to lose Dwight Gale was... I know he hadn't seemed like he'd done that great in the Premier League, but uh, Alex McCarthy, as we'd mentioned in the last episode, went to Southampton. Uh, but the big one, the one that, uh, as Chris has mentioned, uh, really, really got to him. He was a player, he's still got the poster on his wall. Mm-hmm. Chris Kettins to Oldham Athletic. Yeah,
1: you remember Chris Kettins? Old Chris Kettins, didn't he? He was, he was the old uh, stood, stood in the old
0: goal there. Not until you so, brought him up the other day um, and started tweeting about him.
1: He um, was the one who wore the gloves. You know he wore the gloves? Remember? Do you remember? Remember that?
0: Scottish, Scottish international. What's he doing now? Well, I mean, presumably you're following him. Day by day. He's um, still
1: uh, still keeping, still goalkeeping. Goalkeeping away, uh with the with gloves, he uses gloves. Um playing in uh in goal. Patrick, did you want to talk about Balassi at all? <laughs>
2: yeah. I actually want to talk about Jednak. Okay. We talk yeah, about yeah. Jednak leaving is is not being talked about enough. Milly Jednak was for me probably our best captain in the Premier League era, as far as I'm concerned. He was absolutely phenomenal. His leadership his goals, his penalties, free kicks—he was an absolute huge, huge, huge player. I mean, he brought us up, you know, in the, the championship side, captain that side. I think that that I don't, I don't know what the issue was between him and the managers. Obviously, it had to have been one because to do the press like that from the locker room, because we're talking about a time when you know we talked about in the previous one about the coffee club thing. Chris has mentioned, and but that leaders like. But like Jednek and Delaney in that in that in that room was important, and we and we lost we lost them. And I think honestly, I think that had a lot to do with how things kind of fell apart for us as a club during this time. I think not having leaders that were you know could step up, and Jednek as a player was just I just thought it was great. And I think that that loss to me was huge. I re- I'm a huge manager Jednak fan, very huge.
1: Yeah, for me. You you you're absolutely right in terms of the personalities, but this and from what I what I've heard, and again, this is just things that you hear in and around the club, um, that this was part of a period where Pardew had looked at the previous season and decided that the, the problem was that there were too many influential personalities in the squad, and that he really wanted to kind of kind of he wanted to be the main man and that's always how he's managed that you know and to, to a degree if you're going to put a manager in place you've got to let them manage how they want to but that's that's what he did you know obviously a few personalities left the club i mean paddy McCarthy was one as well and obviously later on um i think at the start of the next season um delaney was was maneuvered out as well um but but Jedinat was obviously the big personality at the club he was Very much the leader, and he didn't just—he wasn't wasn't just about on the field. He demanded incredibly high standards of everyone around him, and obviously, he would be the one that would speak up to the manager if things weren't right. And I think we talked about it in the last show. We know from from what's going to happen as we talk through this show, things weren't right at the football club. So you could be—you can bet your life that Mila Yednak was was telling Alan Pardew that on a regular basis, and you know something had to give. And unfortunately, I, I still. I kind of think that the money we got and the age that he was, and you look how he'd done a brilliant job uh, playing playing at Villa in a, in a division below, probably it was the right time to move him on. But I think the reasons were, were wrong. And if we could have kept him around as a captain, not necessarily playing every week, I think a a more pragmatic manager would have done that and we would have benefited from that.
2: I understand what you said and you're absolutely right with that. But I want to add one thing. The way we were trying to play was interesting. The more extensive, expansive style. But by losing Milet Jednak, it took us that whole transfer window in January to we got Luka to come in to to plug that hole. We never had a holding midfielder in that mould until Luka came in and that was big for me. So I I understand the the issues with the personalities, but on the from a field standpoint, I think uh pod you missed a trick there
0: well, proof that you do not argue with the twat in the cravat um <laughs> it's 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 a it's a big shame he is at the time of recording a free agent um but y you, you're right i mean the 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 club captains we've had since got done replaced by Punchin. um and then uh, Luca, who is a great captain, but doesn't quite have the 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 dominance on the pitch to, to make the kind of decisions that uh, Jedinac did. You know, he, he doesn't run in when he doesn't... He doesn't save Zahar from himself in the same way, that kind of thing. So, yeah, he's a free agent, that's all I'm saying. Um, one other quick uh, in. Loic Remy came in on loan. That's probably enough about that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, uh, start of the season... Uh, we lost 1-0 to West Brom. We lost 1-0 to Pulis' West Brom, uh, Solomon Rondon goal. And um, just before we came on air, um, Hambo actually had the first 11 for that team. So let's just rattle through it quickly. Yeah, so it's,
1: uh, certainly interesting. And especially when you look at um, some of the decisions as well. So the game, we started the game with Wayne Hennessy in goal, uh, Joel Ward at right back, Scott Dan, Damien Delaney, centre-backs, Perhaps Suare uh, left back, who was replaced by Martin Kelly on the, in the 90th minute. Good, great sub that when you're losing the game, isn't it? What's the point in that? Anyway, um, Mila Jednak did start that game. Jason Punchon alongside him was replaced by Johan Kabai after 76 minutes. Not sure why Kabai was on the bench for that. Um, Wilfred Zahar played. Chung Yong Lee played with Balassi coming on for him in the 65th minute. Andros Townsend and Connor Wickham. Uh, and the subs that weren't used that day, Julian Speroni, um, just, <laughs> sorry i've just noticed there's an anderson in there who's anderson keshi keshi anderson oh keshi anderson there you go um thank you thank you for saving me there so it was uh, joe ledley keshi anderson and freddie ladapo really showing our striking problems
0: yeah um yeah absolutely i uh, that that and that that start was um perpetuated by the first of, I think, it's still going, a, a, a string of 1-0 defeats to Spurs. I don't think it's been broken in the league. I might be wrong. Um, but, yeah, depressing start to season. So we were 19th by um, by the end of the second game. But then in two streaky style from Pardew, uh, five games without a defeat, and it started with a 1-0 draw, um, at home to Bournemouth, which, and, and I know... Uh, I can't remember if it was this episode or last episode. Hamburg was talking about how magical it is to get a really late winner or a really late draw. Um, this was one of the ones I really remember people going mental for. Scott down header, um, deep deep into injury time to rescue a point, and it suddenly felt like we were we were away. Um, that, that yeah, that was a, that was a big point. Um, then a, a two-one away to middle, uh two-one away win to Middlesbrough. Um, and I think that was the only side that we actually beat home and away that season Um, and then excellent 4-1 win at home to State which I'm sure people have big old memories of Um, we were 4-0 up and they they were lucky to get one at all it's a bit annoying that they managed to ruin the clean sheet Um, and then that game at the Stadium of the Light, where we were 2-0 down um, and there was only about 25 minutes to go, we ended up winning 3-2 with a, a Benteke injury time winner. So let's let's discuss that period. Yeah, I've got to say,
1: again, we got you talked about the Scott Dan last-minute goal. The Benteke last-minute winner against Sunderland was absolutely beautiful. We had the same situation where... Oh, they had Jermaine Defoe, so obviously he was going to score against us. But um, again, we really battled pretty well in that game. And as, as you say, it was it was in a it was in a good streak. We, you know, the, the win against Stoke was comprehensive. Um, obviously, our, our tails were up. Uh, probably the big thing is that starting with the with the Bournemouth draw, that was the first game for Benteke. Um, and then he scored in. in in the game against Borough and scored in the game, obviously the winner against Sunderland as well. So suddenly we had a, a you know, a proper striker leading the line. We didn't have Kashi Anderson and Freddie Ladapo on the bench. And um, we were, you know, we, we, we started like a proper team. So you kind of almost put to the back of your mind, didn't you? The, the, the poor start and and how bad we'd been in the um the end to the previous season. And we're starting to look optimistic and, and think about all the players we'd signed and how, you know, hopefully we can start pushing up the league and uh, yeah, it wasn't to be.
2: I wanna just add something about Ben Teke's goals that season. Uh, you mentioned about the fifteen goals and some of the late winners. my oh, memory serves, I remember talking about this on one of our shows way back that during the season. I think there's only one match that he scored in and we didn't get a point out of. That was the the five four Swansea match. Every time he scored a goal, we either get a point or won the game. That's how important it was to us that season. I saw people make you know made the comments about Benteke and his lack of form. The way he played that season, playing to his strengths, look at those goals. Tons and tons of headed goals, tons of goals in the box. That's what he does. And we've gone away from that. But when he would score goals of that season, we would get pickup points.
0: Yeah, good point. Um, and then we ended that uh, particular run with a 1-0 draw um, against Everton, left us eighth in the table. Now, the next point is something I totally forgot. So whoever kindly put this into the uh, into the show programme, thank you. Uh, that was the point of the, uh, the Soiree car crash. Um, I didn't realise oh, it was that long yeah. ago, showing my age. Um, so whoever put that in, uh, thank you. I think it was you, Chris.
3: It was me. Um and I I think that was a that was a turning point actually, because we're we're about to look at um how the subsequent games go. Um and you look at what options we had at left back once Soire was out of the picture. Um, and, you know, the answer was, well, you know, basically you'd got Zeki Friars, remember him, Um, enough said. Uh, you'd got Joel Ward if you swapped him round, Um, which we then didn't have any cover at right back. You had Martin Kelly who could play there, um, which was actually, I think, generally what happened. Um, Or, yeah, you could ask Joe Ledley to do the role, Um, but then that left us without cover in uh, defensive midfield. So... Um, really not a good situation as well as obviously a personal tragedy uh you know for a player who we haven't really seen the best of since you know it's a, a real shame because he was looking really good at that point
0: yeah that's 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 a great bit of knowledge and I, I it makes me feel old to think that that was that long ago um and great that he's back and playing now and um at the time of recording hope he finds um a decent club so yeah, six losses on the bounce following that um the sixth being we'll get to that in a minute the one of the worst games of all time. Um but yeah, 1-0 away, uh, one nil home loss to West Ham. Remember that hurting 3-1 away loss to Leicester City, remember them absolutely dicking all over us. 4-2 loss at home to to Liverpool. Um and I vaguely remember that it was it was two all. I think we went 1-0 down, 2-0 down but came back both times. Um and then they ended up um Finishing off with their quality. 3-2 away, loss to Burnley. That hurt a lot. 2-1 um, home, loss to Man City. No big surprise there. And then one of the worst games, as I say, of all time. Swansea City 5, Crystal Palace 4. The one where we were 4-3 up uh, in injury time and we lost the game and... Much like the FA Cup final, I've still not got over that.
1: I, I think what shouldn't be missed is the, the psychological damage of that game. And, and let's face it, it was that game that that saw the end of, of Alan Pardew. Um, I think, you know, there was a couple of things that happened since, which we'll get, uh, sorry, afterwards, which we'll get into. But I, I could just, it, I didn't ever really have any hope in that game. Even when we went 4-3 up, I, I kind of felt that we'd, we'd cheated it a little bit um, and that we were going to get away with it. And this was really in a period, and I, and I know for absolute definite, Patrick will know what I'm talking about, where you were almost, not quite, but you were almost thinking, well, I actually don't want us to get a result here because we just something has to change and if we get a result it's just another excuse to prolong the agony you know the the guys lost the dressing room we're not playing football the right way he thinks this is the way to operate and it's it's absolutely killing us so but it didn't stop it being devastating and i i remember not not tra- choosing not to travel to this game um but i remember speaking to terence about it and his reaction was just it, you know it was so visceral it was it was just it's one of the worst things I've ever ex- experienced watching a Palace game. It just it it just kept hurting, and, and you know, and as you say, it kind of still does. It's not quite as bad as the FA Cup final, but it it's not quite-
0: even the worst pain of the season either. We haven't got to the Sunderland game yet, but yeah, go so go for it, Chris.
3: So, I mean, I was I was at that game, um, and I mean, it's memorable for lots of reasons, but. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell a little anecdote, if I may. So we, we were with a mate called Jason who um, passed out when we went 4-3 up. Um, yeah, and it was genuinely, I mean, yeah, so the guy, he's younger than me. He's like in his 30s. And he, he not only passed out, it was a suspected heart attack. <laughs> um don't worry the story has a happy ending ish okay um so you know suspected heart attack like paramedics on him all sorts um we didn't even know this although he was with us he was sat somewhere else or stood somewhere else Um. so he passed out watching us go four three up and came to as it was five four um so,
2: <laughs> so,
3: I mean, I already love this story, but the worst thing about that is that then, because he, you know, basically he'd had this suspected heart attack, they then had to take him to hospital. So we had to stay in Swansea, and obviously we were all booked on trains and stuff, so we had to leave him, <laughs> and he had to stay overnight. I mean, he's all right now, and, I mean, occasionally I see him in, you know away games and things, and I ask him, you know, how are you, and so on, and, I mean, literally, as far as we can tell, there's nothing wrong with his heart. It was just a one-off. Um, you know, they did some tests, nothing else. Um, so, talking of injuries, that then brings me to the other one, which is that it was at this game that Connor Wickham suffered that absolutely wrenching yeah. injury, which was horrible. I mean, I, I know I winced and sucked my teeth at the moment that that, you know, that his boot got stuck in the ground and he twisted his knee because you could see that it was possibly a career-ending injury and certainly a season-ending injury. Absolutely horrible moment. We'll talk about the goals and stuff, I guess, but, I mean, if we want to prolong the torture, but, my God, what 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 an incredible game. The other thing is the fans turned that day. I mean, there'd been a brewing discontent for about six months, as we all know, especially with the awful form the previous year. But that, that day, they were singing, you know, that they wanted him out. They were singing, um, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I remember there, there were even people on our side who cheered when they went ahead. Um it was a really weird feeling. And, you know, I, I remember getting involved in a few ding-dongs with people because I was still um, bizarrely loyal to the regime at that stage. You know, pure affection of having got us to a cup final, even though it led to a, a heartbreak. So, yeah, a really memorable and weird day.
2: Yeah, but this was coming. And I think you need to go back and look at the two previous matches. We lost a 3-2 game to Burnley. He gave up a goal to Vokes in the first minute, and gave up a goal to Barnes in the ninety-fourth minute. So it was coming. That was two matches before. The match before the Swansea game was this Man City game. You remember Yaya Torres going a to late winner in that game. So he had made he had made no he does he had shown no ability to manage at this point. It was just gung ho. Put the players out there, do what they may. So when Swansea came around. Campbell's correct. It didn't bother me. I was hoping for something to happen because I needed this man to go. He had to go. He was facing at that time an American manager named Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley had just gotten the job at Swansea. <laughs> He's not a very good manager. He's a nasty manager. There was a lot of hype over here because you know they wanted American to do well. Blah 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 blah. And the first match he goes up against, he beats Alan Pardew five four. So everybody here was going crazy, as I'm sure you guys know. You know he was fired this season, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It no, he was awful for them. Absolutely awful. Beautiful. But yeah, it still, worthy. So, it's us. Right.
2: So this was this was always going to happen. Alan Poduje had shown this season he had lost the ability to manage his team. You're right. And this right. result, right, this result to me was coming. I'm sorry that Mike feels badly about it. I'm not bothered by this result at the time at all. It didn't bother me. It really didn't bother me that much because I just saw this coming for the entire season. Mm-hmm. To me, this was just icing mm-hmm. on the cake. Mikey, Mike, sorry. Mm-hmm.
0: You're, you're right. And the interesting thing in, in this period of defeats, we scored 10. Um, but I always had, especially that Burnley game, I always had the feeling that however many we scored, yes. we would concede yeah, one more. Exactly. Um, Beautifully put. So, yeah, um, absolutely right. It was not not surprise. I, I was absolutely heartbroken. Um, and then it was only prolonged by a, a sudden... Freakish three nil win at home to Southampton, <laughs> um, and then and then a three or draw away at Hull with a, with a late Fraser Campbell equaliser, which I, I I think was probably his last goal for the club. I might be wrong there, but um, those I, those games, yeah, absolutely jumped him. Yeah, those just, games saved Pardie for a few days.
1: Well, they did. They did in a lot of ways. But I, I know we talked about this before we started recording. But I just want to say it um, in in the recorded environment. The smugness from Pardew after the, the 3-0 win against Southampton <laughs> completely yep. belies how terrible we'd been for nearly the full calendar year, right? we For a full calendar year, we'd won, what, four games at this point,
0: I think? We we won, we won six games altogether in 2016.
1: So, yeah, so this, uh, uh, there you go. So this was the sixth game. So the, we beat Southampton 3-0, which was the sixth game in the entire of 2016 that we won. Yeah, afterwards he comes out strutting like he's the mark masterminded the biggest victory that anyone's ever seen, thanking everybody like he's won an award. You know, oh, I just want to like to thank the chairman and you know. for any I remember him saying he was like, for, you know, we have to educate the American owners uh, about how things work. And get going back to him being a streaky manager and thinking it's normal, and he was just absolutely convinced that this was the turning point. We built, we built, beat a pretty poor Southampton team at the time uh, they, they were struggling a little bit at home and and that was it you know that was it we're going to win the league or whatever but oh, it, it prolongs the agony to a point but I still maintain that the club were clearly looking elsewhere uh, and they definitely would have been after the 5-4 I think that this was just it didn't really matter what he
0: did after that
1: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
0: I mean, you're right, because he, he was sacked after two very, very difficult games, Man um, United and Chelsea. So he was sacked on December the 22nd. And December the 23rd, we appointed Sam Allardyce, fresh from his pint of wine sipping, uh, being caught in the act. Uh, England's one game as a manager sacked for trying to sell random bits of information. Uh, we got him at the very bottom of um, the very bottom of his career, I think, um, and that was in a bit to save the season. I've got to say, um, I don't know
1: if Mikey will dig out some clips of us talking about it when he was appointed, but certainly myself and Terence went on record um, being very, very dead against the appointment. And I certainly won't be revisionist in saying this. Uh, I do remember at the time saying that for for I I felt that you know the sting was kind of it showed the kind of character that he is. And I, and I still believe he is that kind of a character. I think again, if you, if you analyze it and I know a few, there are a fair few people, but I think Steve Parrish, went on record as saying. that If you actually look at it, he didn't really do much wrong. He actually said that you can't, you know, he he, he, he was happy to give, give a talk or whatever, but he, you know, he wasn't going to do anything against the rules. And technically he didn't break, break any rules, but it just wasn't right. Was it? Um, and, and, but more importantly, I think at the time I, I found it distasteful, but I did say he will undoubtedly keep us up. That's the one thing. And he, and he certainly went on to do that. And I do look back on it, uh, his period at, at the club, with a bit more affection than I thought I ever would.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I I was pretty happy because I knew he'd keep us up or I was fairly confident. I got less confident, in fairness, um, when Stuff cop started coming up um, after a poor run that he'd sort of lost his mojo. Um, so we actually we got a point away at Watford straight away um it's a shame because we were winning toydini um with one of those games where he hurt us uh, got the equalizer but then uh, after that six defeats in seven and there was lots of talk in the media about Allardyce being just absolutely shot after the England thing because that's all he ever wanted to do Chris what are we gonna what are we' gonna add to that
3: um so I was just jumping in to talk about the uh, the change that happened, and you know the importance of Allardyce coming in in the first place. Because I remember that one of the concerns that was articulated at the time was, you know, very much that he was a manager who would buy success, and you know, wasn't about investing in the future of the club. So he he'd do what he needed to do to get himself the plaudits, but not invest in you know the future. You know, so I mean, we were talking about the academy to an, a certain extent. Um, that he wouldn't be interested in all of that stuff. But, I mean, you're, we'll come to the transfer window in a second, and actually those those purchases were incredibly wise purchases in retrospect, and not just for one season. You know, those players have gone on to be with us for a long time. That's what I wanted to steer us towards.
1: No, you hit the nail on the head, Chris. That was, that was the com- complaint that I made at the time, I think, which was that if, even if you look at the club you know you look at bolton where he spent a long period of time when he left he didn't leave any kind of a, yeah. le- a legacy he left a team that just that fell apart he was very big on signing big reputation players at the end of their careers and that was the fear that i had for him coming into palace i you know i, I always felt that it could only be a short-term appointment and we should be looking further afield. And it it did pan out that way. But having said that, part of me thinks I would have loved him to stay on. But, yeah, he certainly wasn't going to be a manager to come in and build a club. And I I think it did play out that way.
2: Yeah, and to add to that, listen, the signs he made in that window were phenomenal. Sacco, Schlopp, Villavoyevich and Ben But they came at a huge price. And we could never have sustained keeping Allardyce for two, three seasons because he would have kept on spending that kind of money. He just would have. And I think that's a problem that I would have had with him. Like you, Chris, I, I was not not a Sam Allardyce fan in the least. Like Mike, I thought he'd keep us up, which is the only thing I was happy with. He was there. But I think a season or two or three of Allardyce would have put us in not only huge uh, financial issues, but I, I think that eventually he would have got us relegated. <laughs>
0: I think by that point in his career, he'd learnt that he was only ever going to stay with someone to keep them up because that's what he's good at. And, and right. it, it was it was all short term but that's exactly what we needed. Um, what I will get onto is a tweet, and we'll discuss the rest later, I promise, um, from Cav, saying he wants to discuss how big Sam had friggle to do with it. Um, couldn't believe his luck and the actual quality of the players' Um, just needed a bit of galvanising and he was fairly lucky with the end of the season results. But what I I would say is, and he's come out on record and and made this clear many times, um, the players that came in in the the January window had a whole lot to do with him and they've ended up being a huge part of our squad. So we'll get into them. Jeff Schluck came in from Leicester for nine million, um, had been a, Obviously, uh, a champions uh, a champion start that again a Premier League winner. Um, although you know was in and out of the team for them um, and seemed a little bit surplus to requirements. Uh, Patrick Van Arnholt from Sunderland, who had looked good against us for ten million. I think we we're all fairly happy with that. Um, fairly unknown quantity from Olympiakos, Luka Milivojevic. Uh, nobody knew much about him until they looked at his record and realised quite how much he'd done. Um, so. And then, and then the big one, right on the last day of the uh, the end of the transfer window, right in the last few minutes, um, the player that we'd all wanted, um, Mamadou Sakho. So uh, he he pulled in some really big players there, um, and I've got to say, without those players, I, I really don't see we would have stayed up.
1: I think that's the point in, in answering um, answering the, the message from Cav. Um, I, you know, when you read it out, I, I did kind of. I do kind of agree that there's an element to the fact he's joined a a squad that was better than it was showing and by some quite considerable distance, to be fair. Um, But I think you have to be honest and say, even with the January signings, the players that were already at the club needed a lot of love and attention to get them back to the level that they needed to be. And, And it took him time to do that. You know, We've been through the fact that he... You know, we we lost six out of seven games after the, the Watford draw and, you know, it didn't look great for quite a long period of time. And even in comments in the press, Allardyce was saying like, yeah, um, OK, it seems to be a harder job than I thought it was going to be. But I think he also went on record as saying that it would probably be March before, you, you know, you really see the impact of the coaching and the organisation. Uh, and that very much came to pass as well. So I don't. I think it's unfair to say he had nothing to do with. It. I think he was he was a huge factor in it. And and even when you look at the quality of the squad that that was there, he still had to get them motivated and playing. And, and probably none more so than uh, the reported um, intervention by Sammy Lee with Andros Townsend that really got Andros firing on all cylinders as well. So I yeah I can't I can't agree with Cav, but I understand the point.
0: He's at a spot on the other thing he said plenty of times was he couldn't believe. Um, the level of fitness in the players. Um, you know, they, they were. Clear. I know a lot of managers come in from uh, other managers and say, "Well, that we I needed to get them fit." But um, it, it was clearly obvious um, after the, the the Swansea game, after the Burnley game, we kept losing um, late goals. Late goals were a real problem at that point, and it's because. The players clearly didn't have the fitness levels that you need in the Premier League, and he did the basics. Um, You know, I'm sure you're right, Kevin. Other managers would have done a similar thing, Um, but he just pulled back and made sure that the basics were there in a way that Pardew hadn't done.
3: The thing I'm loving about doing these shows is that it reminds you of you know the kind of little nuances of detail. So um, one of them about this particular season is that the transfer window fell on the same day as the Bournemouth away game. Um, And at the time of that game, uh, Christian Benteke had been on a bit of a dry run um, in terms of goal scoring. His previous goal um, had been on the 10th of December when he scored a penalty against Hull. Um, And so thirty, you're looking at thirty first of January. So nearly two months without a goal. Perhaps a taste of things to come.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um, again, he benefited from the the change of approach from Allardyce, I think um, that got him scoring again. And but I want to go back to the point Mike was making about the fitness because I, I don't. Know, I did, it just popped back into my mind. Do you remember? Yoan Kabai could barely play more than forty five minutes, yeah. and, and James McArthur James Macarthur couldn't do more than an hour. Yeah. You know yeah. they. You know, Kibai was thirty at the time, maybe thirty-one at a push. Um, MacArthur was twenty-seven at the time, probably. Uh, and there's there's no way those two should be struggling. And You think about the engine that MacArthur's got, even now, at the time of recording. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's always box to box. He, you know, he was that player that that gets back to block a shot on the line, and ten seconds later, he seems to be right up the other end of the pitch. And I think when. Allardyce walked through the door. He he, just—he probably looked. Well, he did look at at both those players and and recognise that they they could only contribute in small periods of the game, and he he managed them accordingly. And again, then he had to bring those levels up. So it's a really good point that you bring up. It wasn't just about the late goals; it was the restrictions that it put on our squad because our players just weren't in the right shape to actually play professional football at times.
0: Yeah, and when you think back to you know, people in the press were saying well, it's got to be because of Allardyce being shot from England. I really don't think that was the case. Um, And it shows because we went on an excellent run from them from then on. So, six wins in eight, um, starting with an absolutely crucial game. uh, A 1-0 win against Middlesbrough at home. Remember it vividly. um, PVA, long-range goal. um, Late on in the game, you know, it had been pretty much a stalemate until that point. But, um, PVA showed his quality fairly early on after signing with an, an absolutely excellent finish and, and it was new to it was certainly new to me for, for a long time to see um, a, a player at the back that loved to get forward Um, and you know it makes sense you know when you watch games in the championship players are naturally more limited so you've got defenders and they are defenders I know it's also because of the fact that the game's changing um, and it's more fashionable now but to see PVA shoot forward, and he's carried on doing it since then, um, that was an amazing goal. And it, it started off um, four wins in a row. Um, absolutely, and at that point, we were still in the relegation zone after the Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough game, but it, it
2: definitely gave hope. Another thing, Mike, I noticed that, that, was a, that right before that game was the game that um, Allardyce gave Jason Punch in the captaincy. And I think his leadership, though he didn't contribute with goals that season, his leadership really helped us with, with Allardyce to hoop us up that year.
1: That's a great shout. I mean, it was was well, Scott Dan was the captain, wasn't he? And he literally took it off him and, and handed it exactly, to Exactly, Yeah, and we yeah, I remember said,
2: people complaining about that at the time.
1: Yeah, well, Dan was, I think a lot of people said it as well. And I know we definitely talked about it on our show that whilst he was an influential player, he, he didn't vocal. seem to shout. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't vocal. Yeah. Uh, and he just needed someone to bring it all together. And that's when all the huddles started with punching and all that stuff. Yeah, great memory.
3: Although, that said, before we start that brilliant six, um, 6-8 run we've also got the uh, unfortunate issue of uh, the home game against Sunderland um, which come
1: on mate we just,
3: uh... just
0: we'd skip
1: that come on, come on you can't yeah. skip that
0: you Fair, can't skip yeah. it I mean Fair enough apart That's, from anything
1: else that... you know
3: so many people walked out of that game and that needs to be um, I mean it was obviously a, a very very depressing performance and I can understand why you would want to skip it but um you know it needs to be talked about and you know i mean enough said frankly is just it's just to mention it and the fact that it was such a numbing performance to watch um you know i mean there was a lot a huge amount of anger around the club you know and and actually the fans were divided among themselves as well about that because there was obviously the walkout and the the sheer number i've never seen so many people leave a game um at half time as well because it was already four uh, nil at half time wasn't it and actually we were the storm loads yeah. so yeah I, I, I stayed for what it's worth um I wanted to flag flag that up just because yeah you have to remember the lows because in a way that turning that match was a turning point because it it provoked some of those changes I think
0: it, that, that was a dark day I mean I didn't I don't think I came back from the bar until or oh, 75 minutes in um that that, that was that was <laughs> That was that was, that was was a tough day. Um, at that point, I was starting to be resigned to the fact that Allardyce wasn't going to turn it around. Um, I, there's an, I can't think of a worse 45 minutes of football I've ever seen for Palace. Uh, you know, there was plenty of people when I got back to Social Club later that had said that they'd left at half-time and I, I could not blame them. Um, and, and these are people that don't leave early in games. But... Um, it's just, you know, it's sobering. 4-0 against a team that finished rock bottom in the league. Uh, and they were a poor team that season. Defoe aside, they were a terrible side. Um, so, you know, I, I can imagine Allardyce coming off that bit, bricking himself that he actually was going to ruin his record of of not keeping every team up that he's managed. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're right to bring that up, and uh, apologies for missing it out. Um, but go, yeah, going back to the going back to the, the winning run. Um, we then had a, t- a two nil away win at West Brom, got some revenge um, over Poulis, goals from Zahara and Townsend, uh, and that was the first time we climbed out the bottom three. Um, then a one nil win against Watford, and the the excellent two one away win uh, at Chelsea, where we turned around being one nil down, um, and that in my mind anyway was Hennessy's best game in a palace shirt. Um yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah I was I was at that one and obviously all the goals came really quickly, didn't they? Um
1: because Fabregas scored very early on but um Zaha yeah, did, yeah. scored Zaha scored an absolutely brilliant goal and then it was only a couple of minutes later that Benteke scored and we just held him after that. Um and it was weird. It was, you didn't I didn't expect us not to be in trouble for the rest of that game, but I really don't whether my is correct or not, I don't recall us having any real difficulty holding them off in any major way until quite late on where the, the pressure was starting to build a little. But it, that, was, that was an amazing win and, and it wasn't the last amazing win either.
3: The Benteke goal in particular, the technique on that with the way that you lifted it over the keeper was just amazing. I, I wanted to just refer back to a couple of the uh, incidents from those games um, in that run. So one of them was the West Brom away. Um, win where, where Townsend scored that very, very memorable goal. Um, where he ran the length of the pitch and then you know, collapsed and laid on his back afterwards. Brilliant, Cause it brilliant was Really, goal. really late in the game as well. Um, a slight comedy thing from the um win against Watford, which was that it was uh, deanie who scored the own goal. What a shame. Um, that what led us to win that game one nil. Um, and also I was just looking through some of the you know facts and figures, and I was um amused to note that one of the referees in one of these games was a known dog lover um so not...
1: i think I, I think we might have to edit that out Mikey, if you're listening if you could just you could just draw a, just just definitely cut that bit out otherwise there could be problems keep it keep it
0: in keep it in <laughs> unbelievable um, uh, you you, you just reminded me about the Watford game. We didn't have a shot on target in that game, did we? Um, it was <laughs> it was Dini's own goal. Was that we, I think was the only chance we had as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, some great memories. And then not too long after, I know we lost to Southampton, but then probably the game of the season the 3-0 win over arsenal and and then the uh, the 2-1 win at Li- uh, at liverpool um i mean the goal against arsenal i mean particularly Kabay's,
1: um i just went the way he sort of slid that ball the the ball in the net it was sort of a side foot long range effort and that was vintage Kabay. i loved every second of that and beating arsenal as well just convincingly outplaying them that was just glorious so
2: great point Chris. we never beat arsenal I mean, I can't remember the last time we beat Arsenal, and that was a Monday night game, under the lights. I mean, that was that was what Selhurst was all about. It was rocking. It.
0: They were they were having a shit run at that point, though, weren't they? they if I remember rightly, they they it wasn't as much of a surprise as.
2: Yeah, but they, Mike, they were unbeaten at Sellers Park in thirty-seven years.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely, But it was it was the time it was the time to play him If I remember, you right. are
2: absolutely right. They weren't playing well, but. Uh, a great point about Kabayi's goal it was a brilliant goal. But the whole the whole performance was, was great. You know, uh, Lucas penalty kick. I mean it was just it was a fantastic night. It really was. It was a it was a great game. I and mean, it was out of credit, you know, to beat Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. <laughs> and I remember at, at the at the end we were all talking about that run being an absolutely horrific run. We're gonna definitely we're gonna have problems. And so him to get nine points from those three matches is actually fantastic. It really was.
0: And and Liverpool game, let's not forget the uh the benteke goal that was celebrated with sako uh to beat them 2-1 and for the liverpool fans to point out that he was still a liverpool player celebrating with benteke <laughs> right. uh one of the greatest things i've ever seen still a meme now well worth being a meme uh, so at that point we were up to 12 um and actually we didn't we didn't do well towards the end of the season um and it got a little bit shaky again but the uh the 4-0 win um, against Hull at home, um, which, uh, utterly any little stress we had left was totally gone. Uh, I think we we scored after a, an error after about a couple of minutes, didn't we?
1: Yeah, we we relegated them that day as well, and I can remember because Marco Silva was getting so much attention, wasn't he at the time? Because they were they were sort of dead and buried, and he'd done a similar sort of kind of recovery job uh, on them. They were just had a period where they were just winning everything Uh, I think particularly at home they they, they went
0: above us uh, in the league
1: as well Uh, but he then um, yeah then when when the pressure counted they just absolutely fell apart that day Um, yeah and it just as you say took all the pressure off and was a it was a lovely way to see out our, um, the home part of our season.
0: I remember going off to, because um, I got a season ticket at the Oval as well. So after the game finished, a load of Palace fans descended on there. It was um, a four-day game, so we could bring our own cans in. We were all already absolutely slaughtered. Um, and we didn't care one bit about the cricket. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. So, uh, you know, we ended we ended um, with a, a Man United defeat. Uh, nobody was too bothered. So we finished up 14th, um, which was an improvement on the 15th of the season before, which was odd because we spent the majority of the time this season in the bottom three, whereas we hadn't done that the season before. Um, so Allardyce had done another another saving job. Um, we haven't mentioned the cup runs because we didn't bother that season. There was a win over Blackpool and Bolton in a replay, but that was it. Uh, it was all about survival that season. And to me... I, I it's a it's a tough one to to call, but I think possibly boys, um the the biggest saving job that was done in any season in the Premier League for me. I
1: think it, I think it's up there, isn't it? Um Yeah, um I am just trying
2: to think. Do you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna have yeah. to give Hodgson that when uh, the following season with her. When you lose your first seven matches and you've got to come in and try and correct that, I think that was—I think this is probably second, honestly.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the thing that, that crossed my mind. It's just it was kind of when you when you do a saving job, you usually are coming in halfway through a season, sure. aren't you, to try and turn something around? Whereas that was a very very early change. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a slightly difficult different comparison. But yeah, I mean, wherever whatever way you look at it, it was incredibly impressive.
0: In the twenty fifth game, we were nineteenth that season. I mean, that's he, he did. He did wonders to end up f- full team. No, you're right. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to go over some uh, listener comments, um, memories of the game. Obviously, some we've already covered. Um, we posted up a beautiful picture of the whole game. Um, one meathead Minecraft Maguire um, suffering while he was in a whole shirt has been scored. That was that was a beautiful thing to look up earlier. Um, so, Palish Ash said Zahar's goal against Hull. That was the first one I think he's talking about there. Great. Uh, Benteke scoring against Chelsea uh, whilst we were celebrating Wilf's equaliser. Yeah, as, as Hanbo said, they, they, those goals came uh, very fast. Yeah. PVA starting relegating teams. Fair enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah for jo- jo- John James losing 4-0 to Sunderland showed how strong the supporters were. Uh, after me saying that I stayed in the bar until 75 minutes um, and uh, and what a response the squad and staff had um, yeah absolutely true Cav we've already covered um, Stephen Kingdom excellent name um, it was of course the season I cycled to every game yeah I vaguely remember that yeah you uh, did yeah no, so probably worth reminding people that the run to survival started after I visited the training ground. Fair enough. Fair enough, Steven. Fine, take
1: um, credit for it. It wasn't Aladice; yeah. It
0: was Steven. Yep. CG 86, just Sunderland. I mean, that's a li- little bit negative there, CG. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Max Power. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm never, sorry, Max, I'm never going to not make that joke. Um, Party finally getting sacked and then loads of high five emojis. Uh, fair enough. Luca and Sacco, lots of high-five emojis. Um, I mean, we'll go on to chat more about those in the last two episodes of this series as well. That run-in where we took points, we had no right in taking. Yep, I think we just covered that. Um, Jamie Woods, Benteke actually scoring that season is a standout memory. What's changed since that season? I don't oh. think we've got enough time, Jamie, <laughs> to go into that. Um, but let's, let's just remember the good times this season. He was absolutely amazing um in in those in that yellow shirt with the sash and in that terrible terrible home kit uh, that's how i will remember him
1: yeah any I, last comments people yeah i mean just yeah just loosely touch on the Benteco stuff it's 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 it is interesting isn't it to, to think how different things are now than they were then um it you know it, it's not all down to how we play it's confidence is a huge thing and one of the things we sort of didn't we sort of touched on the fact that he lost a bit of form and then rediscovered it um, I think that you know there was a period where he went away with Belgium and and scored a couple of goals that kind of reinvigorated him a little bit um, and it really just emphasizes how much of a confidence player he is and as you say we'll, we'll talk more about that later but I think overall it was um, it was it was such an eventful typical kind of Palace season that kind of initially promised a bit you know some exciting signings Um, but it really was an example of how to use the January window effectively uh, and how big of a a change it could make and I would just say we haven't we don't seem to have really learned the lesson that you don't have to wait for things to be bad to use the January window in that way you could also use it to turn a good situation into an even better one and further the club and I still feel you know in the previous season we missed an opportunity to do that but yeah the, the January window saved us we brought in some some terrific players um, and yeah overall I think we ended this season pretty happy but in typical Palace style
0: um, the next one started off um, quite troubling well people can find that out next week um, or whenever you're listening Um I think one thing we forgot to mention was quite the impact Jonathan Benseke had. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, of course, so, yeah, yeah. So he, he made that he made that one appearance in our first win against Middlesbrough. We got six points off him. Thanks for that, Middlesbrough. Um, he came on to replace his brother um, and Heskiff uh, of the preview Pods uh wanted me to point out that he had a shot from about fifty yards soon after he came <laughs> on that as far as I remember tamely rolled to the goalkeeper. Yeah, it really um, did, yeah. yeah. And, and and sadly he never he never managed to find himself in the team again. So a great shame. Um and we will leave with beautiful memories of uh, Jonathan Benteco. So Yeah, we will be back for um, episode 9 of 10 of the Palace Years. Thank you very much for continuing listening. Uh, Thank you for following us on all the the socials. And if you haven't left a review on your pod platform of choice, please do, unless it's a bad one, in which case, please don't. Five stars Uh, only, please. Five stars only. Well, four and a half, I'll take that. So, Anything that you'd have as an Uber rating, uh, I'm cool with. So, yes, uh, until then, thanks a lot for listening and bye. Back of the nest, the palace years.
1: It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus serving times, delivery free, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.